Um, we're going to have our Bible reading now. It's uh, from Exodus chapter 2, which um, in the Church Bibles is page 5859. The birth of Moses. Now a man of the house of Levi married a Levite woman, and she became pregnant and gave birth to a son. When she saw that he was a fine child, she hid him for three months. But when she could hide him no longer, she got a papyrus basket for him and coated it with tar and pitch. Then she placed the child in it and put it among the reeds along the bank of the Nile. His sister stood at a distance to see what would happen to him. Then Pharaoh's daughter went down to the Nile to bathe, and her attendants were walking along the riverbank. She saw the basket among the reeds and sent her slave girl to get it. She opened it and saw the baby. He was crying and she felt sorry for him. This is one of the Hebrew babies, she said. Then his sister asked Pharaoh's daughter, Shall I go and get one of the Hebrew women to nurse the baby for you? Yes, go, she answered. And the girl went and got the baby's mother. Pharaoh's daughter said to her, Take this baby and nurse him for me, and I will pay you. So the woman took the baby and nursed him. When the child grew older, she took him to Pharaoh's daughter, and he became her son. She named him Moses saying, I drew him out of the water. One day, after Moses had grown up, he went out to where his own people were and watched them at their hard labour. He saw an Egyptian beating a Hebrew, one of his own people. Glancing this way and that and seeing no one, he killed the Egyptian and hid him in the sand. The next day he went out and saw two Hebrews fighting. He asked the one in the wrong, Why are you hitting your fellow Hebrew? The man said, Who made you ruler and judge over us? Are you thinking of killing me as you killed the Egyptian? Then Moses was afraid and thought, What I did must have become known. When Pharaoh heard of this, he tried to kill Moses, but Moses fled from Pharaoh and went to live in Midian where he sat down by a well. Now a priest of Midian had seven daughters, and they came to draw water and fill the troughs to water their father's flock. Some shepherds came along and drove them away, but Moses got up and came to their rescue and watered their flock. When the girls returned to rule their father, he asked them, Why have you returned so early today? They answered, An Egyptian rescued us from the shepherds. He even drew water for us and watered the flock. And where is he? He asked his daughters. Why did you leave him? Invite him to have something to eat. Moses agreed to stay with the man who gave his daughter Zipporah to Moses in marriage. Zipporah gave birth to a son and Moses named him Gershom, saying, I have become an alien in a foreign land. During that long period, the king of Egypt died. The Israelites groaned in their slavery and cried out, and their cry for help because of their slavery went up to God. 
God heard their groaning, and he remembered his covenant with Abraham, with Isaac, and with Jacob. So God looked on the Israelites and was concerned about them. She'd been through pregnancy before, a boy and a girl, but this time it was different. The burden that Jochebed carried was more than the weight in her womb. It was the worry, the anxiety as to what would happen to her unborn child. A girl or a boy, that was the question. If a girl, well then, life's prospects were far from great, but she'd make the best of it. But if a boy, well, the Egyptian people amongst whom she and her husband lived were intent on carrying out Pharaoh's command to throw every newborn babe into the river Nile. Eventually, the time came to give birth, and it was a boy. What pain and anguish, what mixed emotions. He was a fine boy, too. Of course, every mother believes that her child to be the finest, but this was different. It really was different from what she'd experienced with Aaron and Miriam, her eldest, she couldn't, she couldn't possibly let him be thrown in the Nile. She would keep him quietly. No one need know. And for three months, that's just what she did. But then she could hide him no longer. How would you feel? How would you feel? (laughs) What would you do in that circumstance? But this, you see, is not the stuff of fable. This is not the imaginary creation of a storyteller, but a truth, history, taken from the pages of the Bible. Don't let us think that Exodus chapter 2 is something that we learnt about in our Sunday school classes and can be consigned to quaint books of picture stories. But I'm getting ahead of myself. We need to put this story into its biblical context. We're looking tonight, as we've heard, at Exodus chapter 2, a chapter that is of such significance that it is referenced extensively twice in the New Testament. And, you know, when Jesus appeared to his disciples to explain to to them after his death um, what all the scriptures said concerning him, he began with Moses, the boy that was born to Jochebed. Hundreds of years earlier, God had promised Abraham that he would make him into a great nation. And indeed, Abraham's descendants had indeed multiplied massively over the 400 years or so that had passed. From a single family, 
to some 600,000 men plus women and children. And that, that was despite the substantial oppression that they had uh, suffered. So we can see that God's hand of blessing was on them. Indeed, the trouble was that it was just this growth in population that the king of Egypt sounds so threatening. And which ironically led to the very oppression and ethnic cleansing that the Israelites were suffering. But even so, numerical growth was one thing, but for God's promise to be fulfilled, for the people to become a nation, they needed what? They needed a land. They needed somewhere to call their own. And whilst they were slaves in Egypt, that seemed like a distant pipe dream. What we'll see tonight is how God lays the foundation of his plan to rescue his people through the birth of a deliverer. A rescue that was to foreshadow the rescue, not just of the people of Israel, but of all mankind from sin's grasp. We will see how God's sovereign purposes prevail despite the the risk of the plan through God's providence and the faith of God's people. And as we do so, I hope that we will all just stand in awe. We've already sang something similar. But let us stand in awe of God and grow in our faith in him. But Jochebed, of course, didn't know any of that. So let's return to the narrative and let God speak to us through it. Would you please turn back in your Bibles to Exodus chapter 2, and it's on page 58 in the church Bibles. And before we go any further, let's have a look together at verse 2. When Moses' mother saw that he was a fine child, She hid him for three months. Well, there's no pun intended, but we see here that Jochebed had an expectant faith. She expected God to act. Maybe she remembered his promise, uh, sorry, her ancestors' uh, confident proclamation that the Lord will provide. Why do I say that? Is it just me putting some spiritual spin on this Bible story? No, because when reading the Bible, we should always use Scripture to interpret Scripture. And thousands of years later, the writer of the letter to the Hebrews, writing to Jewish Christians about faith, cites this very incident. He says, uh, chapter 11, verse 23 of Hebrews, By faith... Moses' parents hid him for three months after he was born because they saw he was no ordinary child and they were not afraid of the king's edict. You see, hiding a baby was a pretty risky thing to do. I mean, the closest we can get to uh, imagining it is, is a bit like hiding Jews in Nazi Germany. Except that babies are smaller than adults and not necessarily as quiet. I wonder, 
Do you sometimes feel surrounded by wrongdoing and frustrated by how little you can do about it? Need not be the state, of course. What about the workplace? Have you ever been told to lie? To cover up a mistake by your boss? Or even to say he's out of the office when he's standing right next to you? Or worse still, have you ever been told to do something that you know to be illegal? I'm sure that the news of the world was not the only workplace in Britain where wrongdoing had become the norm. It takes faith. It takes faith to be a Christian when we find ourselves in such situations. But, you know, a small action on our part can make all the difference. Taking a stand when combined with expectant faith can be used by God. Just as he used the courage and faith of Moses, his parents. Why not take some time tonight to consider whether there is, whether there is somewhere in your life where God is calling you to exercise expectant faith. But that's just the beginning, so let's read on. Verse 3. When the child's mother could hide him no longer, she got a papyrus basket for him and coated it with tar and pitch. She pasted the child in it and put it among the reeds on the bank of the Nile. See, not to be defeated, this resourceful mother followed the letter, if not the spirit, of Pharaoh's edict by placing him in the Nile in a waterproof basket and leaving her daughter to stand back and watch at a safe distance. You see, this is not a case of an uncaring mother abandoning her child. This is a case of a carefully executed plan to cling on to some hope for this child's future, trusting God to act It was a risky enterprise, all right. The baby could have drowned, could have been attacked by a wild animal. But as we read on, we see the providence of God. Verse 5, Pharaoh's daughter went down to the Nile to bathe, and her attendants were walking along the riverbank. She saw the basket among the reeds and sent a slave girl to get it. She opened it and saw the baby. He was crying. And what? She threw it in the Nile? And she felt sorry for him. This is one of the Hebrew babies, she said. (laughs) So here we have an Egyptian, not just any Egyptian, but an Egyptian from the Pharaoh's own household who recognises the child as a Hebrew baby and rather than throwing it in the Nile, as instructed by her father, feels sorry for him. How could that possibly be anything other than the providence of God? You see, there's no reason to assume that the daughter of Pharaoh had any special position of power or influence in the the palace. Harring children by the score existed in, in every court and daughters were considered less highly than sons. So Moses, courageous daughter, watching from the safe distance, seizes her opportunity. Verse 7, 
his sister asked (coughs) Pharaoh's daughter, shall I go and get one of the Hebrew women to nurse the baby for you? Yes, she says, yes, go, she answered. And, And the girl went and got the baby's mother. Pharaoh's daughter said to her, take this baby and nurse him for him and I will pay you. So the, babe, so the woman took the baby and nursed him. Can you imagine? Can you imagine the joy in the mother's heart? Not only was her son to be reprieved from death, but she was now being paid to do the very thing that she most wanted to do in her heart. Nurture her son. may not always be the case, but it can be the case that God's will for us is to do the very thing that we want to do. Special opportunities do come our way unexpectedly. And sometimes, you know, we even get paid for them. That was how I felt when I was asked to be chief executive of Scripture Union. It was the thing I most wanted to do, and they paid me. So don't let the fear of what might happen to us cause us to miss such an opportunity. We need to be alert to the opportunities that God puts before us and take full advantage of them. But, notice this, just because something is right once doesn't mean that it's right for all time. Verse 10, when the child grew older, she took him to Pharaoh's daughter and he became her son. She named him Moses, saying, I drew him out of the water. As she had trusted God before when she left her son in the river, now his mother trusted him again as she hands Moses over to Pharaoh's daughter. We need, as well, to be willing to let go, to move on when the time is right. Maybe leaving, letting our children leave the nest when they get married. Maybe moving on from a field of ministry when the time is right. Moses models for us, Moses' mother models for us, a trustful faith that rests in the knowledge The confident knowledge that underpinning everything that happens, there is a secret, undeclared providence always at work. Always providing, always purposeful, always on the side of God's people. Romans 8.28 Take some time tonight to consider whether there is somewhere in your life where God is calling you to exercise trusting faith. And so Pharaoh grew, uh, Moses grew up in Pharaoh's household. That's something that would have involved considerable privileges in terms of education and training that he could never have received as an Israelite slave. And I mentioned that there are two New Testament references to this chapter. I've referred to one. The second comes from Stephen, one of the seven men appointed by uh, the uh, disciples after Pentecost to look after the uh, distribution of assistance to the widows of the church. Stephen, right at the very end of his life, standing 
before the Jewish Sanhedrin, accused of blasphemy, sets out a great history of Israel. And he explains that Moses was educated in all the wisdom of the Egyptians and was powerful in speech and action. You see, in God's providence, Moses acquired an education as well. And Stephen continues that when Moses was 40 years old, he decided, he decided to visit his fellow Israelites. You see, he had never lost the understanding of his true identity, even in the palace. And the writer of the letter to the Hebrews again explains, chapter 11, verse 24, By faith, Moses, when he had grown up, refused to be known as the son of Pharaoh's daughter. Like his mother, Moses is cited as an example of faith. He regarded disgrace, the writer continues, for the sake of Christ as of greater value than the treasures of Egypt because he was looking ahead to his reward. I find this sounds strange to our ears to hear Christ referred to in that way. But it helps us to hold together the Old and New Testaments as a single account of God's rescue. You see, the story of Exodus, which we will um, explore over the coming months, is a picture in miniature of the rescue of all people from the power of sin. And so we see here that although Moses' understanding of the details of Israel's promised future was extremely limited, he chose to be associated with the people, the people through whom that future was to be realized. It took faith for Moses to give up his status in the palace. And he did so because, we're told, he saw the fleeting nature of great wealth, the fleeting nature of great wealth and prestige. It's easy, isn't it, to be deceived by the temporary benefits of wealth, popularity, status, achievement. To become blinded to the long-range benefits of God's kingdom. Faith, you see, helps us to look beyond, over the hill, beyond the world's value system that is all around us to see the eternal values of God's kingdom. I think this is a real challenge for all of us. I'm always struck by the words of the old hymn, O Jesus, I have promised. O let me feel thee near me. The world is ever near. I see the sights that dazzle, the tempting sounds I hear. My foes are ever near me, around me and within. But Jesus Draw thou nearer and shield my soul from sin. The dazzling sights and tempting sounds are indeed ever near to us in our consumerist society. So we need to take time tonight to consider whether there is a dazzling sight or a, uh, of this world that is distracting us 
from a right focus on the kingdom of God. But we continue back in Exodus and we see that although Moses showed great faith when stepping out of the safe confines of the palace, that didn't stop him making mistakes. He had the right idea, but he went back and went about it in the wrong way. Look at verse 11. Moses saw an Egyptian beating a Hebrew, one of his own people. Glancing this way and that and seeing no one, he killed the Egyptian and hid him in the sand. Who can blame him if he thought that all he had to do was lift his little finger and all would be well. But he was to discover that his position, commitment, courage are not enough. Verse 13, the next day he went out and saw two Hebrews fighting. He asked them, uh, asked the one in the wrong, why are you hitting your fellow Hebrew? And the man said to him, Who made you ruler and judge over us? Are you thinking of killing me as you killed the Egyptians? Ironic, actually, because he was later to become judge over the Israelites. But that was for the future. And we read on, then Moses was afraid and thought, what I did must have become known. And when Pharaoh heard of this, he tried to kill Moses. But Moses fled from Pharaoh and went and lived in Midian. We need to be clear, Moses' murder of the Egyptian was foolish. It was wrong. Getting rid of individual Egyptians here and there wasn't going to disturb the smooth flow of the whole regime. And it was a totally impractical way of going about liberating the people from exile, from slavery. You see, mere human effort however well-intentioned, however committed, however uh, influential, results in failure. And that surely is, is a warning for all of us. It's dangerous, tempting even, to wrap our own good ideas up with spiritual-sounding terminology. Moses, by depending solely on his own strength, made a hash of things. But if that's a warning, it's also an encouragement. Because who hasn't made a hash of things at one time or another in their lives? And if that's you, and it's certainly me, then let's be encouraged. Because despite that folly, falling, error on part of that flaw in in Moses' nature, God used Moses mightily, as we shall see. Well, there's a lot in the next section, but time is against us, and so I'm going to skip the beautiful story of of how Moses came to settle in Midian uh, with a wife, and in due time, two sons. Do uh, read it and reflect on it, see what more God says to you through it. But what is interesting to notice is that he seems to be so settled that you might well think that was the end of the story. Indeed, if you look at the end of verse 22, we see Moses who burst with such triumphalism onto the scene as a would-be deliverer is now a self-exiled resident alien. Meanwhile, back in Egypt, the Israelite suffering continued unabated. 
which might well have been the end of the story without God's dramatic intervention. But to hear about that, you'll have to come back next week. But we do get a bit of a trailer right at the end of chapter 2. Verse 23, during that long period, actually it was a period of about 40 years, the king of Egypt died, the Israelites groaned in their slavery and cried out, and their cry for help because of their slavery went up to God. And God heard their groaning, and he remembered his covenant with Abraham, with Isaac, and with Jacob. So God looked on the Israelites and was concerned about them. Just have a look at these verses more carefully. Three expressions refer to Israel's suffering. They groaned, they cried out, and we re- they, had a, they cried for help. But then there's three verbs as well which describe God's response. He heard, he remembered, and he was concerned about them. God had heard. But the people didn't know. There's something very basic in us that needs life to be logical. We become restless, resentful sometimes if we can't see the purpose, if we can't see adversity having some positive outcome. But sometimes there are no logical answers, at least not ones that we can see this side of heaven. And often God doesn't work in the ways that we would naturally expect. Sometimes I think if we see the whole of God's plan of rescue as related in the Bible, covering thousands of years as a single tapestry, it's those little stitches that we are, and we, can get, we can't see the big picture because we're so tied up in the detail of it. But by the end of chapter 2, Moses was 80 years old, scarcely a man in the prime of his life. Is he Really, now, the deliverer of the people? We want simple, quick answers. The spiritual equivalent of instant coffee. And occasionally the Lord will satisfy that desire, but more often he doesn't. More often, like the Exodus people, we face the demand of persevering in faithfulness and patience. 400 years. It's easy to say. Not bad to look back on, but it's jolly hard to live through. For us, it'd be like looking back to the time around the Great Fire of London. So, let's draw our threads together. Because we have seen tonight the expectant and trusting faith of Moses' mother and the faith of Moses and indeed the faith of the people who continued to cry out to God. But faith, you see, isn't an abstract concept. It's not something which we get when we screw ourselves up and try very hard to have. As Christians, we have faith in a living God. 
A living God who is still active in our world. So how was God active in the passage that we have read tonight? Well, you see, for me, one of the fascinating and instructive aspects of this chapter is the way in which God's sovereign will from start to finish is fulfilled both by his providential actions and by the faith of the people in the story. Independent actions of men and women. God had a plan, but it was a plan that was full of risk. Moses could have been killed at birth. Moses could have stayed in the palace. Moses could have stayed in Midian. Well, he might still have done, so far as we know at this point. It was through God's providence that Moses was, being, was kept from being drowned. It was from God's providence that Moses grew up long enough in his family home to develop his Jewish identity. It was through God's providence that Moses benefited from an Egyptian education that would be put to good use in future years. And Exodus chapter 2 encourages us to see God's providence in the context of the whole of human history. How do we respond to that? How can we respond to that but to stand in awe? In awe of a God who has a rescue plan for all people. See, we, like the people of Israel, will be confronted by challenges large and small. And so our faith needs to, needs to mature if it is to survive those challenges. But it is as we understand God better by reflecting on these things that we will grow in a faith that expects God to act, however implausible that may seem. A faith that trusts God rather than worthly values. A faith that doesn't act precipitously, but waits patiently for the Lord and his perfect timing. Let's see if we can go home this week and grow in that faith as we reflect on our awesome God.